if you're looking at declining revenues and you are starting to look at what your expenses, um, what your, your contracts say and, and, and where it is that you can cut, um, now's the time to prepare for probably what's going to be a recession. And the companies that have come out of the recession strong are those that have, uh, you know, really deleveraged their company and freed up that cash and made sure that they were doing the things that they could bounce from this. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Uh, today we're talking about staff reductions, the different options for them when you make those decisions. I have two very good friends of mine, Sarah Mooney and Marion Craner. Sarah is from Seattle Reproductive Medicine. She's the Director of Administration. Is that your title, Sarah? Correct. Yep. And Marianne is the CHRO at Shady Grove Fertility. So we've got West Coast and East Coast here. Sarah really wanted to hit the disclaimer as, as we all as we all have that uh, she, she's been an expert in this for two weeks and all of this is moving so, so quickly that that's why we're doing these webinars because if I do it in an article format, it's already irrelevant in three weeks. So we're doing the webinars to constantly update people because this is changing so quickly. And I'm doing everything that I can to not become an expert in this subject. So uh, Sarah, Marianne, my good friends, uh, welcome aboard. Sarah, we'll let you start because you wanted to have a, a little bit of a disclaimer introduction and Marianne can add anything as well. Well, thank you for having um, both Marianne and I here. Like I said, I have really become an, ex an expert in the last uh, two and a half weeks. But what I have learned the most is to learn from others and to uh, know that I am not an expert in this field and to know when to say, I don't know the answer because this is such um, a crazy time. It's ever-changing, and it's okay, and I hope I can just provide a little bit of what I have learned um, in the last two weeks, which has been a lot, um, but we can learn from each other through this process and just be here um, for one another, and I think that is what is really important right now. What do you think, Marianne? Would you add to that? Yeah, I think that this is a good opportunity to just chat about you know, what practices are facing in light of the SRM um, recommendations and what that might mean as far as revenue impacts and moving into assessing how downstream that's going to affect the business and, and what steps can be taken in order to protect the uh, practice, particularly when you're talking about a, a private organization, perhaps uh, compared to an academic institution. And so, uh, Marianne and Sarah, we, I've got questions that people have sent me ahead of time. You guys can also ask your questions in the Q&A, and we'll try to, to get to them. Um, and I would just like to start with, 
we're going to go into the different options of things that people can do, but there ha- there's a time when you have to make this decision. And, uh, you know, we use certain metrics in, in, in my field, which is the creative services firm. We have things like if you can't project out for after three to six months, if, if you have a client concentration issue, if, uh, if a few, if a few big projects stall a certain amount of time, that's when people start making these types of decisions. Even then I feel like this is just so different. Um, but when do people start making these decisions and how, what are the things they're looking for that makes them say, okay, now is, uh, when I should either be furloughing people or making pay cuts or doing layoffs. And it might sound like the answer is immediately obvious because most people have ceased most of their external operations, but uh, many people have not made any furloughs yet. Many people have not done any layoffs. We did a poll a couple weeks ago and uh, about half of the group said that they did not envision them doing anything. Um, And so I don't know if it's that high because a lot of people have have done all of the different options that we're going to discuss, but a lot of people have not. So how do, when is the time that people, what are the triggers and what's the timeline for people making these decisions? Um, I, I think that a lot of it uh, comes down to understanding where things are from a projected revenue standpoint. And part of that comes of that revenue comes from the procedures that you're doing. And there are a number of procedures that aren't happening right now. So if you're not doing egg retrievals, you're not doing IUIs, and other such procedures, then the revenue is not going to come in on the other side. And the reality is, in the month of March, you're collecting on services that you performed in December, January. So you're looking ahead to when is some of this impact going to hit us. And if the reality is that the work isn't being done now, there's that lag that will follow you through. And you know that you have to have the compensating balance on the other side and if you're, you know, looking at where things are now and forecasting over the next week, am I seeing a 20, 30, 50% decrease in what it is that's happening? How am I going to compensate on the other side? Where do you start in looking at that expense side of the equation when the revenues aren't meeting what they need to meet in order to pay your other obligations, your leases, your equipment, your people certainly being your biggest expense. So each, um, I think each leader has their own tolerance for what level they are okay with seeing that revenue dip and, and everyone regionally are impacted by this differently. Each Department of Health seems to make their own determinations as far as how much work people can do. And certainly with the guidance from ASRM that guides what uh, people are being recommended to do and not recommended to do. So I think there, there is flexibility within there for people to make decisions that feel best for their situation. Sarah, would you have some things to add? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, for us, it was what is the revenue coming in and what are the expenses going out? And uh, we have a, a lot of expenses and we, we know this. And so we have, we're one of those organizations that have already done cuts um, because of our projections. Um, and I would like to kind of reiterate what Mar- Marianne said about state as well. Um, there's 
uh, different states that have much stricter, stricter um, rules on what you can do and what you can't. Thankfully, in Washington State, um, we are still able to perform some of um, the functions. Again, it might not agree and line up with what ASRM says, and we are working through that as well. Um, but you have to look at what um, state um, regulations tell you you can and can't do as well, and then um, base predictions on that. I mean, there's so many things that go into this. Maybe we talk about those a little bit more because a, a, a few of our, our clients haven't laid off anyone yet. They um, really don't want to. Um, and, and one of our clients asked if if this person should mention that. We're doing a Facebook Live for them and this person asked and I said, well, how far can you see out? And he said, four weeks. And I said, don't say anything to, to that effect of that you're not going to this, to this. I think if you can't see out at least 12 weeks um, in terms of, and I don't know if, if anybody has that much cash on hand, if they got 12 weeks, all payroll expenses, uh, PPP notwithstanding. Um, so I get, you know, at some point, if this goes on to April or, or excuse me, if it goes on well past April to June, July, uh, I mean, at what point, Sarah, do you really start or Marianne, do you really start to endanger the business where you say, okay, at this point, we really have to uh, either make cuts or furlough or layoff? I think it comes down to, again, the numbers that you can sustain it and what your comfort level is. For us, it was time to make those cuts as of last week. Um, Again, I, I go back to, I like your point, Griffin, about having the ability to see out more than four weeks. We, mm -hmm. we just lack that ability at this point. And so if you're looking at declining revenues, and you are starting to look at what your expenses, um, what your, your contracts say and, and, and where it is that you can cut, um, now's the time to prepare for probably what's going to be a recession. And the companies that have come out of the recession strong are those that have uh, you know, really deleveraged their company and freed up that cash and made sure that they were doing the things that they could bounce from this. No question, I think also the states that have mandates, those states for mandated coverage, they're gonna be able to bounce a little bit easier. We don't know where our patients are going to be in these non-mandated states at the end of this on the other side. There's so many factors that go into driving what this revenue and the revenue projections are going to look like. So um, it does come down to comfort. It does come down to relying on your financial professionals in forecasting what this is looking like and coming up with what does the worst case scenario look like and preparing and know what you're willing to, to do and what you're not willing to do before you get to the emergency. Even if you, you know, let's just say next month we're able to see patients and everyone can go back to work and business as usual, you're still going to have people very hesitant about, um, especially your cash pay uh, patients coming in the door. Um, and so you have to know that there's still going to be a drop um, in business, even if it was business as usual and people can come flooding through the gates come two weeks from now, because people will just be nervous and, and scared. And $20,000 is a lot of money when you haven't been working or you are on furlough and they're going to reassess 
priority. So you have to um, put that into your projections as well as you're going to have a decrease in business. It's business as unusual. Exactly. Right now. And mm. so it's one of the reasons why on the marketing side, I'm really, really hammering that we have to build the funnels right now to be as busy as possible with new patient virtual consults for those that still can do checklist testing or when we're able to again, uh, that we just have the, the wait list ready of treatment ready patients because I do see the point uh, Sarah, that this is going to expand, but if we are able to fill the funnel wider now and also convert those people uh, so that they're ready for treatment, I, it won't hurt as bad because you will, have a, you will have legitimate scarcity. You will be busy doing treatment as opposed to, to because you're fitting it all into to one window. And I actually see that backlog helping with what, what otherwise would be uncertainty in a recession, which is why this is all so different. So we're starting to get a lot more questions and I wanna make sure uh, we, we go through them as quickly as possible. One of the questions that I had ahead of time was, can you, was what's the difference between a furlough and a temporary layoff? To my understanding, all layoffs could be temporary, right? The idea of a layoff is that you could bring somebody back whenever you either do or you don't. Uh, furlough is is a defined period of time um, that you can either then for extend the furlough or or not. Um, can you uh, answer that the difference between a temporary layoff and a furlough? I think I'd argue that um, the temporary uh, layoff is uh, ceasing the relationship, the employment relationship. So that you would then go through the process of rehiring the individual, whereas a furlough is they remain as uh, an employed individual. Many people opt to continue health insurance benefits during that time, where um, it's as if the individual would be on a leave of absence. And so therefore, they would pay back when they return. So the idea is that it's a temporary solution with the intent of returning people. And yes, there's a set period of time generally uh, 30, 60 days that would be assigned and that could change during the course of the furlough. Things needed to be shortened and people needed to be called back or vice versa extended. But by no means um, is it intended to be something that is perpetual and, and goes on. At some point, um, you then run into some laws as it relates to the WARN Act potentially, just as far as the size of the individual, uh, the population who are being uh, uh, terminated in effect. And generally, uh, each state, sometimes there are many WARN acts. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, in general, if you're keeping a furlough to uh, a 12-week time frame, you, you don't seem to run into those issues. Okay. Um, one doc wants to know, how do you choose between laying off or furloughing or shared work programs? So maybe we just uh, yeah. So we, we've talked a bit about layoff, furloughing. Let's talk about what are, uh, we're seeing other questions about pay cuts. So why don't we just lay out the options? We've got layoff, we've got furlough, we've got shared work. Um, we've got uh, pay cuts, uh, salary reduction. Let's talk about, let's just lay out what those, what the different options are for people and when it makes sense to use them. So I, I'll start, I, I am deep into furloughs and shared work in my world right now. That, that is really what we have been doing. And not every state has a shared work program, 
um, shared um, work for Washington you have to apply for and get approval. Um, I applied for it last Monday and I'm still waiting for approval. It's not a guarantee. Um, basically, it allows you to reduce their hours and still get unemployment and you get paid overall just a little bit higher rate than if you were just um, strictly laid off. So there's a benefit to the employee um, to be on the shared work program, as well as you are still retaining um, and keeping those employees engaged um, and working and part of your organization. We had to do both. We could not um, shared work everyone because there wasn't work for some people to do. Um, so we did have to furlough. Um, I am a fan as of right now of furloughing rather than just straight layoffs because we're not in the position. Um, I wasn't in the position to just start laying off people. I really think all of our staff is fantastic. I want them to all come back. Um, I want, I'm hopeful that this is a four to eight week period. Um, and so that is how we made our decision. Um, and then if we need to lay people off at the end of the eight weeks because things are not bouncing back, we may have to do that. I don't know if that answers the questions, but that um, is kind of where we are in our world. In that Washington. makes sense. Um, so, uh, I think an interesting comment that you made, Sarah, was about the, the shared work. And um, I'm wondering if some of those that you're speaking to from the shared work aspect are exempt individuals, maybe making yeah making a little bit more and the yep. reason why I ask is because and, and that was my guess is because with the stimulus package and individuals who are furloughed earning the additional $600 on top of their state's potentially maximum benefit some people are going to be paid more to stay at home than they are to be at work so we were told, so this is one of those things that is ever changing by the day, and this was as of last Friday where that was approved, is they told us that it will still be advantageous, more advantageous to be on the shared work pro program. And again, nothing is documented, but I have a feeling that they are going to incorporate that $600 for unemployment also into the shared work so that you're also receiving that as well. But we're waiting for more information on that. Got it. Um, can we also talk about the difference uh, between a tired furlough and what was the other example? Um, jumping back into the Q and A, um, tired furlough or full furlough? So I, I think it's. Uh, uh, I think uh, tiering um, the the oh, furlough. Is, is I think it is tiered, what tiered furlough. <laughs> I think. And so um, there's different ways in which furloughs can be applied. There's been some really creative things that I've seen out there where some organizations are uh, doing it uh, and operationally it has to be planned for where individuals, it's been projected, um, you need to have at least two months of uh, revenue or of expense savings from the payroll side of things. So that everyone would be subject to and uh, eight week uh, unpaid leave over three months. So essentially you would have furloughs that are going on. And sometimes in those furloughs, you may have a full week on, week off, week on, week off. 
again, operationally, that may not work in every industry or in in every position. But in that case, what's you, what's interesting about that is that everyone is sharing in the same experience where the expectation is that each person is in it together and that there will be eight weeks uh, of unpaid leave during a three-month period. Um, I think you know, tiering it as far as when this happens might be another way that people are looking at it. So whether it be a group that happened, Sarah mentioned, you know, a, a group that has already occurred and then perhaps, you know, further down the pike, though, there will need to be a decision for practices to have a second or a third round of reevaluating where things are. So I, I think looking at the needs and what the volume is, the work that needs to be done drives those decisions. And certainly when you prioritize looking at who needs to be there and doing the work, obviously job function is important because that's where you need to start. Looking then secondly at who your rock stars are, the people who are your diehards, who you have to kick out of the office, those are individuals that you would want to preserve, certainly. And um, so that, that would be another way, certainly, of tiering the, the, the furlough. Can you think of anything else, Griffin or Sarah? I'm, I'm not sure uh, about that, but it does make me think when, you, when you're talking about the rock stars or people that have left. I have heard about people using this opportunity to lay off people that weren't performers which sounds like people that they otherwise would have terminated to me that doesn't sound like the right move because it's either it's either performance or it's not it's either you're laying them off because you don't have the work for them or not and to mix those things up now you're i from my view giving the entering into this liability realm uh when you when you actually got rid of someone for performance i think um uh, to me, it seems better for you to just terminate that person for a cause for performance. And so that means you need to be documenting those issues. And if you still feel like, well, I want them to have the benefits because I don't want them to be destitute, then fine. You can offer a severance. But it, to me, it doesn't seem like this is the time to mix termination for performance for, with uh, just using these layoffs as a convenience. Am I missing something? You should be working. No, you drank the HR Kool-Aid. <laughs> you shouldn't be in marketing. You should join our HR circle. <laughs> well, I have to do. I have to do this as a. So it, this is not my realm of expertise, but I have employees, and I'm going through all of this myself. I've got three full-time employees. Uh, I've got four part-timers, and we're we're all going through this together. Um, and so one person asked the question about the uh about the sba loan so i'm going to do a little poll right now while i answer this question to the best of my ability which is just do you plan to apply to the payroll protection program so i guess this is just for the you know if you are someone that doesn't have the authority to do that just don't answer but this is for the folks that um can answer there's there's a poll right now i don't know if you can all see it because i don't have answers coming in yet um maybe i'll have to relaunch megan are, are people seeing that uh, no, I can't see um, the poll. I'll, I'll try. I'll stop it and I'll try. Oh, there it is. Um, uh, here, I'll, I'll launch it. Okay. Um, it's the, that's, the, that's the last one. It's, the, it's question number nine, the PPP question. But so people are asking, uh, 
it's not this question, but we can we can share the results. Anyway. Sorry, Griffin. Uh, uh, that's okay. Um, so uh, people are asking, do you, do you recommend people take an SBA loan and continue payroll at full pay? So I'm going to tell you what I know, and which is not a lot because this is changing so quickly. I've just been on the phone this week with my tax accountant, our our bookkeeping accountant, um, another accounting expert. I know another financial advisor as well as my banker. So I've talked to five people about it this week. I'm not an expert. I'm just telling you the aggregate of what I know at this point. Uh, so uh, it's about the PPP uh, payroll protection program that is through the SBA. It's, it's an SBA loan, but you will get it through your bank. You're not going to apply directly to the SBA for this loan. The loan amount is the loan maximum is 2019 payroll divided by 12, your monthly average payroll from 2019 times two and a half. I was originally told that it was just the last 12 months from the uh, from from the loan date. So let's say we're taking it out on April one. We hired somebody expensive in January. Our payroll is greater. That you could do uh, April one, twenty nineteen to March thirty one, twenty twenty. Then uh, it's, that's what my banker told me yesterday. And then the other accountant that I spoke to today showed me a letter from the treasury that said it's twenty nineteen. So it's a but it's a monthly average of payroll twelve months. I think it's 2019 times two and a half. That's the loan maximum that you can take out. Then up to eight weeks of that is forgivable. Eight weeks payable uh, for, for payroll is forgivable. So um, you will have to, at that point, prove that you have not, uh, that your headcount hasn't been reduced. Um, but I don't know what that means for those that you've reduced by, by cause. Um, and it'll also mean uh, that you cannot reduce anyone's pay by more than 25%. So the, for that person that's asking, should I take out this SBA loan? My recommendation is that every single person look into this, but there are, it's not necessarily a grant. I think it's going to be good for me because I'm not planning on, uh, I'm not planning on on making these cuts within the next six months. I'm really looking at keeping my people. I think it will work out for us. I think it will be forgivable for us. Um, but if you're going to have to make these cuts anyway, and you're going to be less than, uh, you're going to have to do more pay cuts or, or have a much uh, lower headcount, then that amount is not going to be forgivable. Do you have any advice on that stuff, Sarah and Marianne? Uh, that's... Uh a little bit out of my realm right now, to be honest. I Unfortunately, fun fact, I, um, my first job was as a commercial lender um, doing SBA loans for small businesses. I've left that life behind and I'm really glad right now I'm not doing that job, but I, you 100% gave good advice. If you want to learn more about these SBA loans, go to your bank. They have commercial lenders who are trained with the SBA, they'll help you through this process. That's their job. So we have a, a few more people that have, uh, that have answered. I'm gonna wrap that up right now. We've had 20 of our 60 people answer that. So uh, a couple more are coming in. I'll give you just 10 more seconds for that. And then I'll answer uh, the, the next question, um, which is more about uh, reduction in compensation. Um, here's the results that we have. It sounds like uh, it sounds like 
well over two thirds of you are going to apply to the program. Um, another third aren't sure. For those of you that aren't sure, I would just look into it for the reasons that I said, it might not make sense for you. Um, mm -hmm. If you feel like you're just gonna end up with uh, a, a loan um, because it's not gonna be a 10 year term. Uh, it, they were originally saying that it's not gonna be, it might be five, it might be two. Um, they're, they are going to have forgiveness on interest in principle for the first six months, but um, I think interest still, will still accrue during that time. So, um, so, so just look into it. For those of you that are unsure, uh, just look into it. It may or may not be for you. Let's move to another question, which is about uh, executive and physician salary reduction, because this might be more relevant to people if they want to do this, because if I'm not mistaken, the PPP is talking about that, that you can't cut more than 25% of salary. That's for folks a hundred K or less, which is not our physicians and our executives. So Sarah, Marion, what are the options for uh, executive and physician salary reduction? I think, I think it's reducing salaries. I think that, um, you know, for us, we're doing a 50% reduction in salaries for our executive um, team. And um, I think no one uh, throughout the organization um, should be spared from this. We all are in this together and um, we, yeah, and physicians are, are um, also, taking a pay cut. They don't have money coming in. It's just how can they pay themselves? They can um, barely um, pay for all the expenses. So they're also taking a hit. So for us, um, we're all in this together and people are uh, reducing pay and we know that and understand it. What I was going to say is if you're looking at doing cutbacks, um, I think that you have to lead by example and it, and it has to impact you as well as an owner and as a CEO, you get the largest salary cut yourself. You know, you're seeing these uh, airline CEOs and, and CEOs of other organizations now. Uh, I think I saw Hannah Anderson, which is a retail company. The CEO put something out on uh, LinkedIn today saying that he's going to be temporarily foregoing his salary amid the, the cutbacks within the industry as a way of trying to help uh, save some for the staff. So it is a meaningful and I think an important step for the owners and the CEO to take. I will also add it's um, been a part of our message as well. When we're having the difficult conversations with our employees, we're also messaging that this is impacting top to bottom. It's not just you guys. We, um, which they understand and appreciate. And I, I think it helps with the culture as well that, um, again, you're not alone in this. It's not just you. We're all impacted. Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing 
a couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person, before you put out an RFP or look for services, before you get your house in order, because by definition, this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world, and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned, and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now, back to Inside Reproductive Health. Dr. Chen said in the comments to us that, uh, you know, nothing in medical school prepared us for this and uh, yeah. nothing prepared us for this. Even if you okay. were into MBA, even if you've owned a business for decades, none of, this is the shittiest thing about owning a business or being in these seats at this point. And um, so this is where you earn your badge as a leader of going through this and um, it, there's, I don't think that there's a, a right answer, but I do think things are really different. Now, one of my favorite consultants has said that the principal should never reduce their comp to lower than the highest paid non-equity employee. And in normal times, in a normal downturn, that makes sense because you're talking about uh, having to... It, you would otherwise be masking really important operational decisions that you have to make. Um, but I just don't know that that's the case right now. And all I can think about is how I cry like a baby every time I watch It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas uh, and how I think that, God damn, I, I want to be George Bailey. I want people to think of me like that. And I know that's not the right, it's not how you'd run a business, but there are times where I believe that is how you run your business and this that might be one of the those times um one person wants to ask uh, what kind of support do you recommend for employers to provide employees who have been temporarily or partially furloughed i think that you know you have to think about those individuals and ways to continue to engage them um outside of getting the news and uh the shock that involved that is involved with that ensuring that if they are individuals who've been laid off or excuse me furloughed and therefore you anticipate bringing them back setting up opportunities to meet throughout the week whether it be daily or weekly whether it be as groups or one-on-one -on -one, there are i think opportunities that you can maintain that connection because we don't have if you're not in the office we don't have those spontaneous collisions uh, running into each other in the uh, in the break room in order to grab coffee and whatnot. And so setting up a 15-minute 
touch base each day in order to just have coffee together or maybe doing a happy hour each Wednesday or Thursday or Wednesday and Thursday, whatever it takes and doing it using some video conferencing tools or a great way to, to really help continue to keep up that connection. I think even little, little simple things, sending a card in the mail, Hallmark has free cards that they'll send to you now, making sure people know that you're continuing to, to think of them. People will remember this. Yeah, I think things that I would add uh, is that I think the idea of letting somebody go on a Friday afternoon is from like office space or something. Uh, I don't think that's what you do here. I think you do this on a weekday. I think you do it in the morning because you want people to, you want to let people know that your door is open so that they have time to process that they, they have time to talk to other people that are in the office. If you're even still in the office um, or that they have time to zoom you back or call you back. If you do have to do it, if you do have, if you can't do it in person because of the circumstances right now, please do it over video. Uh, not on the phone, ideally never by text or email and uh, do it in the morning so that people have time to approach you. Let them know that they can do that. And I think it's also not the time to walk people to the door or uh, you know, to, to say, like, you, know, you can't take any of the, the files with you. Um, you know, you've excused those people before or, or you, you are now for cause. And the rest of these people aren't them. And so I think that's one thing that they can do. And then, so I do think that, uh, you know, one thing, we, again, we haven't let anybody go, but we're, we're trying to stay just as a group as possible. And those virtual events of, of having everybody check in have been super helpful for that too. Um, Megan's let me know that there have been people raising their hands. I'm sorry. Uh, I, there's a lot of chat going on too, which is awesome. I, I can't keep up with it and look at this. I think it's awesome that you all are chatting and answering each other's questions and commenting. Just make sure that you're doing all panelists and attendees. Cause I see some people are just doing all panelists. That's, and then that's just me, Marion, Sarah and Megan that are getting it. If you do all panelists and attendees and everybody else can see you because for some people it's like a 50% conversation. Um, Megan, ask those folks that raised their hands. If we answered their question, if not, if they want to, uh, if they want to raise their hand and if they want to come on, we'll make them a panelist real quick so that they can get on video and ask us. We'll let them jump the line. So Megan, ask, okay. ask those people and then interrupt me after uh, we do the next question. Okay. Um, uh, so another one is uh, uh, if you're an employed physician and get a salary that is actually a draw based on revenue minus overhead that is projected to be negative, can you draw zero pay and qualify for unemployment? I, I know you can um, draw zero pay. I don't know if you can file for unemployment. Marianne, do you know that? I mean, I think there's, um, there's no reason why you can't file. The question is whether or not within the state in, in which the individual is employed is going to um, pay and how much that, how much they will pay. I think that, um, there's no, there's no reason why. Ultimately, if you do receive pay at some point in the future for those hours, Uncle Sam wants that money back. That's why they want to know if any pay has been generated, and they'll be looking for reports on that. So that's the, the other piece to, to keep in mind. 
And that's um, a good clarification. Anyone can file, and I would strongly suggest to file. It's just whether or not you're going to get paid and at what part. Um, I don't know that. Um, yeah, you shared what 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 others have done with physician salaries. Their MDs cutting or forgoing their pay. Yes, all over the place. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people are doing it to the tune of a hundred percent at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the total range um, for for that question. But MDs are absolutely cutting and forgoing their pay right now. How much is completely in an in individual uh, decision? Uh, I don't know if I know how to answer this, but maybe you all do in, in terms of a projections uh, answer, which is a, a friend of mine, Doc on the West Coast asks, how do you prepare for the worst case scenario? And in this person's mind, it's seeing new data that uh, COVID has a negative effect on pregnancy. So I think what this person is asking is, what if we find out that there's a really damaging effect that really means that uh, you know, we might not be able to to see normal operations for a year or two. I think that's the sort of scenario that this person is envisioning. What does that mean for us? How do you even analyze that type of projection? I mean, I think certainly that that is one of those big, scary, um, hope it never happens things. Um, if that were to be the case, and let's talk through that. Um, what are the other things that the physicians are able to do in order to help the patients if you're not getting them pregnant? And so you're looking at people pivoting um, and, and performing uh, other work, whether that be pivoting and, and helping people with doing some sort of um, you know, OBGYN work, or otherwise, uh, I, I don't know how you would be able to um, continue certainly in that scenario, which is a, a scenario I had not considered. Uh, I, I don't know how you would, um, you would do anything else other than come up with another line of, of business. You know, Amazon came online and, and started their business during the worst possible time of the recession, and they were able to set up Amazon Marketplace and, and, uh, and thrive. So it, it really is now about what your other lines are and, and are available to you. Another friend of mine, nurse from Canada, offers a, a suggestion, which is uh, we're probably going to be talking about freeze-alls if that's, if that's the case. Um, and if that is the case, uh, then I think we become even more relevant because it really means that egg freezing is important. It really means that freezing embryos is important. Um, and that would then extend the window of people that we uh, are able to serve, if that were the case. Um, so thanks to, to that person for uh, asking. Uh, what if your draw as an employee physician is negative based on the formula based on revenue and overhead? You don't have the money to pay your employer can they go after your house so i don't know if this is all if if this is in your scope it sounds like this person is uh i guess if if what kind of collateral uh is against their business um if you have a personal guarantee against your your business i, I think that's what they're asking do you have any information on that sarah i don't um 
so to me, it sounds like it depends on whatever, whatever financing you have. If you have a loan against, is that loan I, personally guaranteed? That's um, what I would agree. I would agree with you. And then what, what the contract says stated in your contract of. Yeah. So it's okay. So I think this is, so this is an employee physician. They're asking about their draw. So they've been given a draw. It, mm-hmm. It's negative because you don't have revenue coming. Yeah. I think you have to look in your I've never heard of that where where someone in a a draw contract has a personal guarantee or collateral I've I've only heard of that in loans but you'd have to look at your you have to look at your your contract I believe another doc from the east coast asks if you have contracted physicians can you legally furlough them or reduce their salaries because anyone who has a co- contract, it would need to be something that's agreed upon with that individual. And so you would sit down with them in order to have a conversation, just like you would with your landlord, just like you would with your mortgage company, just like you would with any creditor. You would have to sit down and come up with an agreed upon amount that um, you are uh, willing and able to pay. And then you would work with that individual in order to negotiate something that makes sense for both of you. And hopefully you're able to, to reach an agreement because what's the alternative? The alternative is, I mean, termination that, yeah. I think this is also a time to take a look at your current contracts and also policies and make um, some addendums to them as well. Like I have people who are still wanting to be reimbursed for, um, different programs that we offer and um, we have nothing that states in our policy like that maybe we should you know if there's a pandemic that hits and we are unable we can seize this program at any time and you might want to have a clause in your contract that has something with that as well a clause if some unfortunate event happened so we had someone else ask this was an anonymous question uh, that they wanted me to ask and those that emailed me before the webinar, which is what do you recommend about staff hired just before the pandemic? So it sounds like people who were mm-hmm. supposed to start work during or, or you know, they're probably probably supposed to start like late February, early March or, or now. Um, what do you recommend uh, with those folks? Is it last? Do you believe in first in last out or last in first out? For us, we did. I believe, and it depends. It's the classic answer, right? And it depends on what that role is. If it's a role, it's a position that you've been trying to hire for a really long time, and you found the perfect perfect candidate, yeah. you, you you work to justify and and hire that person. And maybe they don't come on if they were supposed to be full time. They come on in a reduced capacity. But you have to have a long look at this and make sure you're not just making. A decision for the immediate future, but who are the people you need on your team in order to help balance? And so I think that there could be cases where, yeah, you you can't put on a blanket hiring freeze. There needs to be uh, examples of where, yeah, I really need that embryologist or whatever the position is because I'm simply not going to be able to pump up like I need to once we get to the other side. Yeah, Sarah, I mean, it's when you think of that is the benefit, is it just for a cultural reason or, or something? Is there, is there a legal reason? Because for me, unless there's some sort of 
other legal considerations to me, I absolutely don't believe in it. You've hired the last person that you needed because your company is going in a particular direction. And, uh, and that person might still be the most relevant to getting you to that direction. I absolutely don't believe in first. I agree for us, for us, we didn't have a position, um, like that for us, it was, um, maybe a, a front desk position or call center. It was mostly those type of positions that have just recently been hired. Um, and we furloughed them. So they're still employees cause they're fantastic and they're great, but I don't have the resources and literally they were hired a week before this. Um, but I don't have the resources to train them right now. And so I needed them to be furloughed for this time frame so that I could have my all-stars who can produce at 120% when I am down 50% in my call center, focusing all their attention on that and not on trying to cross-train someone who is 20% productive. And so that is why for us, um, but I agree, if there was an embryologist hired and it took me six months to fill that position, I would probably take a look at, um, at that. And I'm just throwing position. I, th- I think it's position um, determined as well. T- to Marianne's point too, this might be the time that some of you have to make new hires because for the Absolutely. longest time, you've all been struggling to, to find embryologists, struggling to find docs, struggling to, to get the right nurses and you might have that opportunity now. Yeah. And so I would be thinking about that. If you're able to bring someone on that you just otherwise couldn't, mm-hmm. um, you, you might take advantage of that. Absolutely. Um, another doc asks, uh, can, can you discontinue 401k match if you do not have a policy? I'm, I'm almost certain you can. Um, uh, but check on that with respect to PPP if you're applying for that because I think it does count to overall comp. I might be wrong about that. Um, do you, do you, can you ladies add anything about discontinuing 401k or I, other benefits? I can tell you that in our closet specifically states it's based on board approval and it's done once a year. And so this might be a year where we don't approve it. And so we have that out to not fund the 401k. I think it's plan specific. Mm-hmm. And so you'll want to work with your 401k provider and pull out those plan documents in order to review what you have there and to see if you have flexibility in order to amend that. But that is something that you can do. Some other things that came out with the CARES Act related to 401k allows individuals to, um, allows individuals to, to change their uh, loans to be up to $100,000 if you so choose to allow that to happen as a, as a plan provider. Um, and then it also allows you to extend the period of time in which people uh, repay those loans by three years. And there's a clause which uh, allows people to withdraw without the penalty. So there's a couple of, of options that are new that have come out of the CARES Act as it relates to 401k plans um, that provide a, a bit more access to your employees for purposes of helping to keep them whole during this time. So I want to I want to wrap this up pretty quickly. We still have a couple questions coming in. If I feel like it's something we haven't touched on, get it in now. There's just a couple more. Um, we, what we haven't talked about is health insurance uh, or extending that to to furloughed employees. One person wants to know how long, you know, 
practices can do that for are doing that for um i to me that that's part of the severance calculation or uh or part of the the overall just calculation do you have any advice about how you planning for health insurance to for load employees so that is something that uh, is specific to a, a choice that you can make as well as to what your contract with your insurance provider states so um, some insurance providers have, have been very proactive sending out information saying that if someone was eligible on March 1st and they experience a reduction in work hours that take them to be less than full-time or, or therefore ineligible for health insurance benefits, that they will continue to be eligible as a, a furloughed or reduced hours individual. At the same time, again, there's still that flexibility for the employer depending on how they're, they're uh, setting up their furloughs to say uh, how long that might go on. Generally, though, what you do see is that you would have the uh, furlough extend for a set period of time, at which point a decision is made one way or the other as far as to extend or to lay off, and that health insurance would either extend or end at that point. They don't have to run concurrently. We had one uh, other person that asked uh, that they've set one person from the Midwest saying they've put a number of employees on temporary leave and paying them at 66% uh, keeping benefits. So this is like, so I guess it's, it's not, you're not furloughing them because you're still, uh, is this a partial furlough? Is this something different? Um, because they're not working but they have received a, a pay cut. They're getting their health insurance and they're, and they're, they're getting a pay cut. So is this a, a temporary or is this a sort of reduced furlough or is it simply a, a pay cut and you're not working right now? Sorry, I'll go ahead. Uh, to me, it seems like a very generous um, company um, that is doing that. And um, to me, it is the latter. It's not a furlough. Um, furlough, you're t typically not paying employees for it it would be the temporary layoff with benefits and pay. My, my advice to, to that person uh, is you, you might consider really look into the PPP because you're almost there anyway. If you're paying them at 66%, um, try to get that up to 75. And if it's for those folks over six figures, then um, you, that, that you might be good with that um, for those that aren't get them up to 75 and maybe the, the health insurance is included in that. Um, and Griffin, just to clarify, they're not working and still getting paid 66% that's, from the That's what it sounds like. We have, we have put a number, and it doesn't sound like everyone. It says we've put a number of employees on temporary leave and are paying them at 66% keeping benefits. Got it. That's um, really nice. Those individuals so, would then be eligible, that, that practice would then be able to take advantage of the payroll tax credit, which is the 50% um, through the end of the year when you are paying individuals who aren't working where your business has been impacted. So that, that will unlock that benefit for them. So um, I, I would say for those folks, you're probably just better to say, okay, you work four days a week now, or you work three days a week, whatever it is, cut the rest of the time off, get that PPP benefit, and then have them do something. Have them, there's so much crap we can be doing right now from operations perspective. Every single one of your departments has operational efficiencies that you can be working on. It's, yeah. It reminds me back when I was in landscaping and it would pour 
rain and we couldn't go out and cut the lawn, we would, that's, that's when we would pull all the tools out of the garage, clean up all the spider webs, and we scrub the trucks down, do all of that stuff that we wouldn't do on a normal revenue billing day. And that's true for us at higher levels with operational efficiencies in marketing. There's so much more that you can do for your marketing systems, but that's also true for every single operational efficiency. So if you're doing that, get it up to 75%, apply for the loan, and then maybe have them work three or four days a week at a, a reduced capacity. Um, uh, I, this is the last question that I'm going to answer, and we're going to do that because we haven't talked about it at all, which is one person wants to know about hazard pay. Um, do you recommend it for staff that is still working? It's an interesting concept. I know Costco was doing something like that, except they said that you wouldn't get your hazard pay until after this was over. So essentially you needed to still be employed on the other side and still be working for them. And I believe it's June or July when that hazard pay will accumulate and pay out. So it's an additional $2 an hour. And, um, but they'll receive that hazard pay in the future because, you know, look, you're not obligated to pay it right now. I think it's an interesting way of, of structuring it to help retain those individuals and encourage them to come to work if they are being nervous. I have not so much heard about it um, within healthcare practices, private uh, physician offices, you know, OBGYN, the OBGYN clinics, dentist offices. I will say that's a really interesting concept. And the problem that we're having right now is that employees who are continuing to work are really nervous to work and are asking um, for uh, temporary furloughs themselves. Um, they might have loved ones at home who have a uh, compromised immune system or they just don't feel comfortable. Um, but we need a workforce. And so maybe having some kind of incentive um, it's an interesting concept. Uh, Faith, Faith said that she believes the CARES Act will require employers to pay up to 11 weeks of pay at 60% after a 10-day waiting period for anyone unable to work after April 2nd due to child care issues. So uh, that might, that's something for people to consider. Um, and, and there's for those taking time off to care for their mm -hmm. sick kids. Thanks for letting us know about that faith. We've had more questions come in, but we've already went an hour guys. And um, so I'm going to wrap it up. I do appreciate how I'm sorry for those questions that we couldn't answer. We'll do another uh, webinar. Maybe I'll be able to get somebody that can just speak to PPP. If you want, if you have other, uh, you're welcome, Eileen. Thank you. Um, if you have other questions, just let me know next week. We're going to do one about consenting the week after we're going to do one about financing. Um, so if, I'm getting a lot of requests. Just let me know. Just email me what you want us to cover and we'll cover Sarah, Marianne, you two are experts in this. Thank you so much for coming on and helping us. And my heart goes out to you and everybody else that is dealing with this right now because it's the, it's the hardest part. Uh, Colin says awesome work to both of you. And I totally agree. Mm -hmm. oh, Colin, thank you. Thank you. Thanks ladies. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.